see whether or not you've got eggs. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to another episode of COP. This week, Maddie and I did a uh, double feature. 1958 The Blob, as well as the 1988 The Blob. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Lucas. Thanks for asking. Always a pleasure to be on. Right on. I like the, I like the spirit. Thanks. So, I'd seen the 1958 Blob before. Um, watched it around Halloween. At the time, I was like, yeah, it was pretty good. I like the effects of the blob, and uh, the story was engaging enough at the time. But this was your first time seeing it. How did uh, how did you like it? The first one. Mm-hmm. We'll start with that one. Well, the first one. Uh, it was kind of what I expected, to be quite honest. How much did I enjoy it? Mm, not not that much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the thing with the movie. Okay, uh, it's a B movie. And that's it. It's just yeah. a B movie. And mm-hmm. you know, it's certainly got it's got a couple of nice points of interest here. I mean, it's you know, thankfully it's not too long, but um, it's weird how much of this like science fiction horror movie is just dedicated to uh, people just talking <laughs> and standing around, and uh, it's not very scary at all. It's kind of goofy. No. It's kind of goofy. It is pretty goofy. Um, so, in nineteen fifty-eight, the Blob. What uh, what happens is on a summer night in this little town, a meteorite crashes, and this old bum is there, and he, or not a not a bum in this one. Sorry, just this old guy. He goes. He has a shack in the woods. He's going. Ted Kaczynski style, and he goes up, pokes it. It's uh, the meteorite's about the shape of a, mm, about the size of a grapefruit. Pokes it a bit, and out comes this little ooey gooey slime. He sticks onto the the stick and goes up onto his hand and starts munching away. And then our protagonist, Steve McQueen, I think was this his first movie. Uh, it was, actually, his feature film debut. Okay. And he's playing a character named Steve. Yeah. And he's in into this girl named Jane. Movie starts with him trying to hit it off with her, and she's not buying it. She's like, eh, this is scripted. You just say this to every girl you meet. And he's like, nah, baby, it's real. It's, I love you. And they... they uh, driving around they bump into him he's like help me help me take him to the doctor and that's when the blob is pretty much introduced to the to the town the movie really um really bored the crap out of me when i rewatched it because i had watched the 1988 one first and then i watched this one and this one is a downgrade in my opinion, and I, I was looking at the Rotten Tomato scores, they're pretty equal for the two movies, but then the synopsis for the 1988 version is 
um, more critical than 1958 one. I, I don't get... I don't understand the, the consensus there, but... Oh, well. Yeah, I thought it was boring. The movie is honestly... It's like 90% a drama and 10% a horror movie. And the 10 might even be a bit generous. It's It's just like... A really crappy American graffiti with a, a horror monster slapped on. And, like, in the center of it is a 28-year-old Steve McQueen who looks about 30 or 40 years old doing this really cliche, boring love plot with Jane. Do you agree? I agree. You know, this is the kind of movie that, like, it feels like they just put this out to get some teenagers down at the drive-in. Because they're like, hey, look, this movie has teenagers. And they're racing. And they're kissing. <laughs> uh, it's like a baby's version of Rebel Without a Cause or something. And then you have this monster that doesn't really show up all that much. And it's kind of just in the background where characters talk a lot. I mean, you can probably guess the script's not great or good or even okay. It's pretty mm-hmm. bad. Steve McQueen, um, I haven't seen a ton of his movies. He does a really bad job here. He's not good. I don't think there's a really good performance in this, really. Everyone's kind of robotic. They're not given great lines to work with, for sure. Oh, their delivery's crap sometimes. But also, you're right. Like, why does Steve McQueen look uh, 35? When he was 27, <laughs> playing a 17-year-old uh, silly. Um, he, he looks so bad. <laughs> um, the, the drama in it is not terribly convincing. Like, you know, they, this is like a prime example of what's wrong with the film, okay? They're like, they see that they, so they meet this old man. The old man is like, oh, I'm being eaten. And they take him to the doctor. And then, you know, the guy, he's, he's getting eaten. And the nurse gets eaten. And then they run away. And they go to the cops. And the cops are like, can you go back to the scene and see if there was any witnesses or anything? <laughs> and then they do... What do they even do? Like, on the way to do this, he meets up with those guys. And there's yeah. like these three... I like, call them the American Graffiti Boys. <laughs> the Graffiti Boys. And they're like, hey, we heard you're the new racer in town. And I was like, I just rolled my eyes. I go, Jesus. And they have a little backwards race. Did you have something to do? I don't think actually it was the race. They went to go do something. I don't remember. But basically he gets sidetracked for like a good 20 minutes. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have to go back. And I have to go look for the survivors. That's pretty emblematic of the film here, which is just why are you taking so much time to the non-science fiction horror monster part of the movie. When the movie's called The Blob, we want to see The Blob, and we want to see, you know, a little action. It's just such a dull film in that regard. Like, they just spend too much time in the sheriff's office. They spend too much time just talking in the road, too much time on this lame romance. It's it's uh, it's pretty dry. Yeah, like, the the pacing of the movie is just so unrealistic like the the blob shows up once every 20 minutes maybe 25 minutes 
if it seems like that anyways and just like they just stand around and talk for like this movie i guess takes place within a day or a night and the movie's an hour and 20 minutes and so then they're basically standing around and talking for five six seven eight hours while this blob is destroying things like you gotta do something yeah uh the characters don't have a ton of agency um they basically just get saved at the end they go into this little diner and they find out of course that every monster like this has this weakness and this monster it can't stand the cold Mm-hmm. So they get a bunch of fire extinguishers and they're all blasting it and stuff and you know you get that classic home hometown america moment when everyone comes together <laughs> they make like the beatles and come together and they get all the fire extinguishers and they blast the monster to smithereens with all their co2 but um ye, there's not a lot here i'll say what's good about the movie though okay uh number one i like the blob the effects are pretty good, actually, for the blob. Uh, okay. They don't seem too much, but, like, he looks pretty decent. There's one shot I like when he, like, comes to a grate. Um, yep. And it looks pretty cool. So they did a good job with that. I mean, they had a, it's a B-movie, so the budget was extremely low. Um, but, you know, I've seen... We've seen, of course, movies with astronomical budgets with way worse effects than this. So I'll give them props <laughs> for the blob. <laughs> And I like the idea of the blob, too. It's a cool creature that is just, you know, faceless, doesn't talk anything. It's just a big hulking mass that eats things. Um, I like the color in it. Um, this movie has, like, a really, like, bright color palette. At first, I thought it was, like, one of those things where it was in black and white, and then they recolored it, where you can tell that sometimes because maybe the colors pop a little too much. But, no, apparently that was, like, a selling feature of the film was that it was in color which was not, you know, like, necessarily for a chi movie like this, the mode at the time. And the color really pops. It looks good. The blues, the reds really come out. Um, it was kind of interesting to look at in that regard, even if it's just whatever, not particularly great to, uh, directed. Um, and uh, the theme song is a bop, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like the opening credit song. Yeah, they have like this little pop tune uh, for the blob. I kind of wish it played at some point during the movie. Um, <laughs> it kind of set a weird tone for the movie. It, I guess it's supposed to be like a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, but then you you watch this horror movie and then it opens up with the credits and then the silly little pop song. It's pretty good, though. I like it. That's added to the library for sure. <laughs> Uh, that's about it. That's all the good stuff I really liked about this movie. It's not agonizingly painful. It's just, uh, I don't know, like, this is just kind of the fodder that they would just put out as the B-side of a double feature, I guess. It really suits that. I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised. Um, sorry, I just want to say I'm surprised that it was so popular with people because the budget was 100000 and then made four million, and they made this the A movie because people liked it so much. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. It, it I guess, probably because of the monster is an inventive premise. Like people, I, I see some people saying like the premise and the monster 
is really stupid but i i think the idea of the blob is is kind is pretty horrifying i think um, it's a good idea it's like a, it's a pretty realistic movie monster like it's yeah. just like a big amoeba and it just eats things and it doesn't really think i think it's pretty cool yeah i i'm sure that was it and like the special effects for the time were probably um you know pretty pretty spooky mm-hmm. um I, I think I think the idea of the blob is good, like the monster. I think the the way it moves, like the effects that way are good, but the actual blob itself and how it just looks, like it it's uh leaves a bit to be desired. It's just this opaque red blob. It looks like strawberry jam. And I think for some effects they were actually using jam um but it there's like that that one shot where the blob the blob um creeps up the stick it's like i think it's just resin and they don't even make it red it was so odd it was like kind of yellowy and i think what they did is they just dropped resin onto the stick and then they flipped the the uh the picture 90 degrees so it looked like it was creeping up it rather than falling down the stick mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah and it, it kind of changes color throughout but yeah uh, the effects how it moves and stuff isn't too bad just how the blob looks is is a bit is a bit bland i think yeah well you know what I didn't expect too much. So in that regard, even though it is just like this plasticky looking thing that and then it's just kind of a red, as you said, like a strawberry jam blob, like it was still pretty convincing. I'll say that the 88 blob for sure is is much better in that regard, but it's also much more elaborate. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I, I, I think the the movie is just kind of a boring drama um they do this thing every time steve and jane talk they play like this soft song and it's just uh they they think it's so deep and moving it's just it's really boring like there's nothing i don't even who is steve who's steve what does he do um what's his life like he's an all-american hero what does Jane do? She's a... Uh, Describe American, Jane to me. She's the all-American hero's girlfriend. <laughs> like, why would I care about two complete strangers falling in love? Why would I care? I don't. Yeah, there's, like, no character development here. Like, character just... You know, you don't get backstory or anything. You don't really get motivation. Everyone's a very stock-type character. And of course, you know, that's going to make it really hard to get invested into anything that's going on, especially in a movie as lackluster as this. And the police in this movie. Oh, God. Oh, the main chief is just like the whole movie. Oh, it's a bunch of pranksters. Dang, kids. Ah, they're just pranking us. I love movie but cops. Even in, like, there's a scene where... They go back to the the doctor's office where the doctor has been killed by the blob and they bust into a room 
where the doctor last was and the door was locked and the windows are locked and the doctor's gone and the police is like ah just a bunch of pranks he locked he figured out a way to lock everything <laughs> like are we are we serious guys this is the writing look they they don't get a lot of action in a, whatever this small pennsylvania town is okay he just wanted a nice night off. He didn't have time for teenagers and their pranks, no matter how elaborate they are, okay? <laughs> no time. No tolerance. But yeah, I think that that's it. That's all I want to say. The The writing is really bland and dramas or whatever, and the movie's just kind of boring. Do you want to give it bags right away? We'll wait. Okay. 1988 Blob, however is smoking it's more better it's it has a lot of graphics i'll say that got a lot yes very oh now this is a movie matt what is the premise of the 1988 the blob Uh, basically the same thing um Mm -hmm. i think this one's set in california instead of um a farmer guy finding the blob you get this hobo um, and instead of Steve and Jane, you get actual characters. <laughs> so basically, this hobo uh, finds the blob, you know, in the same fashion as in the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this one, you focus on... There's two protagonists here, I suppose. You got um, Brian, Flag, And he's, you know, your typical 80s, rough-around-the-edges guy. You know, he's smoking, he's drinking, he's got a leather jacket, mullet Motorcycle. Type motorcycle mullet he's got disdain for authority you know he's exactly who you want in a rough and tumble situation or if you and your gang is going down to the drive-in and you gotta fight off the couple of punks that are gunning for your girl you guys know the type uh and then you also get meg and she's just like a she's just she's a cheerleader she's like a very clean-cut homecoming queen type character there's also this guy named Paul who's dating, who goes out on a date with Meg, but their date goes poorly because they take this elderly hobo to the hospital, and yeah, he gets eaten. Paul gets eaten too, and that's where the story kicks off. Uh, and it's basically the same premise here. The blob is running through town, and they're trying to escape and get the police involved and try to figure out how to stop the thing. Yeah, what I like about um, the 1988 one is it kind of subvert your expectations, but in a good way, not in a Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi sort of way. Um, like like you said, with Paul um, and a couple other characters, they kind of build them up like they're going to be main characters or there's going to be some drama with them, and then they just kill them off brutally. Um they do it with Paul, like, in, oh, there's a great special effects shot. And the special effects in 1988 Blob are, like, almost perfect. There's a few shots when it gets kind of large and they have to start doing green screens. Um, and a couple effects when they're using dolls, which don't look too great. But other than that, it's amazing. And Paul um, is trying to phone the police. And then he looks up and the Blob in this movie is, like, dripping acid and it drips acid down onto the table. He looks up. Um, Meg comes into the room, and then 
we just see him like getting dissolved he's reaching out screaming and blobs just oh my god devouring him um but they're building him up like he's going to be a, a main character because in the be- beginning of the movie it opens with him and he's doing his football game and he goes over and he's like to his buddy like oh should i ask out meg oh i don't i don't know man you should do it and you know he does and they're going on their date and you think it's going to be this huge thing but boom nope horrifying twist he's getting eaten and there's also the police chief who who goes down to this local diner talking with the the hostess he's like oh you know shooting a shot ask her out on a date and she says yes and we're thinking okay this is gonna go somewhere and then uh nope he gets devoured too so does she later on i mean did you get that same feeling like they're gonna be characters and then boom or or no yeah they do it and i like that as well because what they do is that they have a whole host of characters they give them all a degree of dimension so mm-hmm. that you kind of care about them. And then when they get killed, it actually means something instead of just, you know, a gore for the sake of, you know, some cheap thrills. So you are kind of gutted when, you know, the, the waitress and the police chief both get eaten and they were having some buddy, budding romance, you know. Uh, and I like that idea, too. And I didn't even exp- I th- I thought Paul, it was going to be a sort of trio, but now they kill Paul early. So that was mm-hmm. interesting that they did subvert expectations like that. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this great shot where uh, Jeski, the the village rapist, is taking out this girl, and he's trying to get her very drunk. He he's like, oh, "I'll make you a Jeski special or whatever, whatever it's called." Opens up the trunk of his car. It's just this huge, luxurious cocktail bar. Um, he tells her, "Ah." Oh, I gave you my ring. That means you're my girl, you know. And then, in his little cocktail bar, he has a he has a little treasure chest full of the same ring. So, kind of a sleazy guy. Goes back in. He's leaning over, and she's like passed out. He thinks he's passed out drunk. He's like, "Ooh, it's hot in here. You know, maybe you should unbutton your blouse a little bit." Opens one up. Opens up another. You know. Trying to get some some boob action. Some boob action. And then he, um, he looks over. Her, like, face crumples up and blob tentacles shoot out of every hole in her body. And then, like, this is side view. And the blob just, like, explodes onto him. It's so satisfying and gross. And, like, all the tentacles and different blobs that come out of her are all like different colors and ah it looks so organic and and real i love the special effects in this movie if it wasn't for like a few bad green screens it would Mm -hmm. be like it would be perfect there's one weirdly notable one that sticks out towards the end of the film when everyone's running in the streets and the blob is like at its biggest and it just like slams his tentacle down on somebody and then the person disappears and it looks so fake. Like, uh, you remember that? Yeah. yeah. I, just like a, there's a couple of slip ups like that, but otherwise the blob is great. Rather than just have it be this blob that just kind of crawls around and then, you you know, you kind of think in the first movie, like, how is anybody being caught by this? Like, how are they not just yeah. running away? 
this one, you know, it's fast moving, it's explosive, it can kind of shapeshift at one point in the sewer scene. It becomes like this sarlacc pit. Um, mm-hmm. It's got these tendrils that shoot out and, and grab people. It can like go inside people and then turn them inside out. They really make it a really scary force to be reckoned with here. And the kills are brutal. I mean, in the first one, they just kind of disappear. In this one, they show people getting melted and disintegrated. You know, you even see a kid get killed. Like, damn. Mm-hmm. It gets melted up and you're like, shit, you know. It's that kind of movie? Okay. <laughs> uh, so they really don't pull any punches here with the horror aspect. The blob is done very, very well. I mean, that's all, it's really all you can ask for. The the one of the most gruesome ones reminded me of like Akira was, uh, I think it was the wait the hostess she goes to the phone booth. The blob like puts himself on top of the phone booth, wraps his or its body around the booth, and then she sees the like decaying police chief inside of it, and then it just smashes the phone booth all four sides of it and just like engulfs her. It's like whoo okay. It's kind of heavy. Yeah. Yeah, they don't... That was... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, that was, like, the scariest part. Uh, Or, you know, this movie's, like, truly horrifying. Like, it it takes that premise of this large gelatinous mass, and it makes it scary. Uh, What were you going to say, sorry? Yeah, and you know what? It's In that regard, the movie's thrilling, and it's a well-done plot. Because, well, there's character drama, and I think there's some pretty nicely fleshed out characters here they really focus on the horror aspect of the film so it's just a successful horror film now if we're talking characters i basically like all of them they're all done pretty well i take slight issue with flag because i think he's a little bit of a caricature in hindsight like yeah like you know his character like from the first time you see him i mean we've seen this guy before he's got dimension but i mean he's He's almost like, he even has like, he has like this super cheesy line. Um, They find out, okay, in the movie that, and this is in contrast to the first blob, where it's just like an alien microbe. They find out that while they think initially it's an alien microbe, um, they get these, like, what do they call themselves? They don't even have like an official name. It's just like this government team comes in. They're wearing hazmats, they got guns. You find out that... What they actually did was they sent a probe out space and they were trying to like mutate um, a virus for germ warfare. So mm-hmm. it takes a more cynical stance in that regard. And then um, Dr. Meadows, who's the head of this, he says, ah, it's, uh, it's just like a microbe. And then Flag says, well, if this is the germ, if this is just a germ, <laughs> then this is the nastiest son of a bitch you've ever seen. And I was like, oh, Jesus, laying it on a little thick, eh? He's yeah. a good, he's good, though. I think he's a decent leading man. The performance is fine. He's just a little cheesy in that regard. I think everybody else managed to avoid that kind of um, cliche character archetype overall pretty well. Like, I mean, you have, like, the police chief and stuff, but none of them really fall into that trap. There's one like asshole cop who's just asshole cop but even he has like a redeeming moment towards the end of the film so they all do a pretty good job character wise and i think performance wise it's it's all pretty solid all around everyone pulls their weight and there isn't really a weak weak performance i could pinpoint especially because a lot of them don't get a lot of screen time because they get killed off really early i think that that asshole cop was the guy in robocop who takes the acid bath 
Oh. I think. Maybe. And then gets, like, smushed by the car. I can fact check that. Hold on. There was oh. also an, a phase cameo. I, I wasn't going to tell you. Uh, did you... Did you see any other cameos? Um, like uh, like actors I recognize. Yeah, well, I recognize Kevin Dillon from a few things. That was really it, I think. The Who? doctor yeah. was Jack Nance, Eraserhead. No. Yeah. Wait a second. Which doctor? Like the pharmacist? No, no, no. The the doctor, like when they bring the. The homeless man to the doctor's office. He's the one, and then um, uh, Flag or Paul runs into the room. He's like, he's like eating the guy. Like, come take a look. And the doctor is um, a racer head. I did not notice that at all. <laughs> that's a cool. That's a that's a cool uh, little bit though. He's not even credited on the Wikipedia page. Really? Yeah. If you go to the Damn. cast section, he's not even on there. Shit. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, I see here. He's the doctor. That's pretty cool. Uh, the the pharmacist, um, the the character they made him look exactly like the doctor from the 1958 The Blob, which was interesting. I was just trying to see like all the parallels I could find, and that was one weird one where he, they have like the same build, same haircut, same uh, lenses. Or frame for their glasses. That that was a, a funny tidbit. He looks like every other middle-aged man in the 1950s. So I think that was a decent callback, like, uh, visually to the other film. And also just because he kind of looks out of place with his glasses and his, and his, his like, tucked-in shirt. He looks very old-fashioned. He's got... There's also, like, a couple of good gags in this movie. Mm-hmm. It takes a much more comedic approach. <laughs> there's one early on. Where Paul and, and Jeski go to the convenience store and Jeski's like, come on, man, give me $5. I need, I need to buy a condom. And he's like, okay, here you go. And then Jeski goes to buy a condom from Mr. Pharmacist. But then the reverend shows up and he doesn't want to look bad. So he says, oh, I'm buying it for my friend. And then when Paul goes to pick up Meg later, he finds out that the pharmacist is her dad. And he looks at her and he says, oh, ribbed. Because Jeski <laughs> asked for ribbed condoms, uh, that was a really good, that was a really funny moment. There's a couple other good gags in this. They keep them to a minimum because it is a pretty unabashed horror film here. Uh, but there was a little bit of humor that I appreciated that added levity to the film too. There was one line I think it was like a joke uh, at the original's expense. I forget what the context was. Flag and Meg were running around, and he knocked over some jar and it fell and broke and it was strawberry jam he's like oh great i killed a strawberry jam and i think that was making fun of the original blob i think so too yeah because yeah it kind of does look like strawberry jam in the original and um we should mention that the screenplay for the 1988 one was i think they had a few writers but the big one was i think this guy theodore no not him oh uh frank darabont yeah frank darabont who did shawshank green mile um nightmare on elm street three 
Uh, what other big ones did he do? He did The Mist. And he's writing for The Walking Dead. So he's a you know good writer, obviously, and good here too, I think. Yeah, it's a good script. Much better script than the other one. Like you, like I said, you get a couple of cliches here and there, but uh, it's pretty strong. I like the dialogue in it. It's it's pretty natural and realistic, and it avoids a lot of the cliches that I would have expected from a late '80s horror film of this period, where you can really easily just fall back onto what's been successful in the past decade and just kind of spout cliches. So it's a good script for sure. Um, you know, I actually don't have all that much negative to say about the movie, honestly. It's a pretty solid horror film. Yeah, yeah, I am... Um, do you remember in the original how they found out that the cold was its weakness? Yeah, in the original, they... Okay, so in this one, they're in the freezer, and then it goes into, um... It tries to creep in, and then it starts getting crystallized. In the what was it the same thing in the first one? I may have been when they were in that little diner as well. Yeah, I guess that's how they found out. Cause then they go into the basement, and oh no no, what happens is that, well, they spray it with the CO two when they're in the diner towards the end of the film, and I think they call back to earlier when they remember that it was sensitive to cold. I'll try. I can fact check that, but why? What's this leading to? Well, I was just going to say, in this one, um, it, it creeps into the freezer, realizes it's cold and leaves, and it leaves behind some crystals. And what I like about this movie is it, it's elevating the source material because it's adding lore to the blob. Um, and these crystals, we find out at the end of the movie that they can thaw out and become blobs once again, um, because they tease a, a sequel that unfortunately has yet to come out with the the reverend at the end. He has a little jar with a tiny little blob baby in it. You know what? I don't even think they intended to make a sequel because the first movie also ends with a the end question mark. Because yeah. what they do is they just take the blob, like the Air Force just lifts it and then they just dump it in the Arctic. And I was watching that. I was thinking like, this is like the plot of the, this is like the prequel to the thing. The better prequel to the thing. Um, Holy shit. And then Steve says, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. Uh, and then his question marks, uh, maybe the Arctic <laughs> global warming commentary, maybe. And then in this one, they have like an even... This one like really feels like a, a sequel tease. And I mean, I, I guess in theory, maybe if it was successful, they would have done a sequel. But I, I think really, they really just wanted to emulate the ending of the first one where it's just uncertain. And you can add a little question mark there. And then, yeah, you have this scarred okay. reverend who thinks that um, this is like the the rapture and that God is giving him this gift to unleash Judgment Day whenever he sees fit. That was a really good stinger. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and I, like I said, I like that they added, they added lore. Like, this movie is another example of, like, a perfect remake where you take the source material, you keep a few things here and there, elevate it, and and make it more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, like, they have the pharmacist who looks like the doctor. They have the same kind of... this, Like, same plot points of 
old man with the dog gets attacked by the blob. They bring him to the doctor. All hell breaks, breaks loose from there. There's um, a good... There's a good movie theater scene in both movies. I think the movie theater scene in the 1988 one is a hell of a lot better. Um, there's a love interest who has a brother, a, a younger brother. Um, they freeze it at the end. But then the the two movies are, are very different. Um, other than those few similarities. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's what I want to see with the remake. That's what I like to see with The Thing, The Fly, The Blob, um, Suspiria. I want to see that elevation. Yeah, they do a good job. And it's kind of like a... It's a decent blueprint for the remake because you don't want to retread too much ground, like take the same characters, give them the same names necessarily. Uh, because especially here, I guess they realize some of the limitations of the characters in the first one. So they figured if they make new ones, they'll have more leeway, some more room to develop them. And yeah, I I agree. Like they keep uh, aspects faithful to the original. So it's still very recognizably the blob, not just because there's a blob creature, but in many, in many different plot and story elements. So it really is like a good example of the remake. And yeah, it really follows in the tradition of like the thing in the fly, which I guess came out like would have been like within a few years of this as well. Mm-hmm. A nice like B-movie remake trilogy there is if you watch The Thing, The Blob, and The Fly, actually. Yeah. I um, I just saw or found out about a, a movie that kind of is, is same idea, a remake of Nosferatu, and I want to I want to see that. Is that... Wait, you're saying there's one that already came out? Mm-hmm. And when when did they come out? Uh, good question. What was it even called? Like a vamp- vampire in the shadow or something? No. Um... Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's like most Ferrats is already like Dracula... Like, Shadow of the Vampire. When did that come out? That came out in 2000. Oh, we're, due and it's, an- wh- we're due for another remake here. Oh, yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Willem Dafoe is, uh, is a vampire. Yeah, he's a pretty scary looking guy. <laughs> but yeah, I want to see that one because... That piqued my interest, but anyways, um, what are you, what what uh what are you feeling with these two movies? What ratings are you? Bad. Deserve it. Yeah. All right. For the nineteen fifty eight blob. Uh, this is kind of tough. Okay, you go first. Okay, nineteen fifty eight. The blob. I'm gonna say four to ten bags. I was so fucking bored. There was a point in the movie where. Jane goes home and starts talking to her baby brother, and he's like, oh, "Are you gonna be my guardian?" I, and he just starts talking baby talk, and I just tapped out. I just started cleaning my room, and taking notes here and there. But uh, I was just so bored. They show the blob like once every twenty or thirty minutes. There's a little spook here and there. But other than that, it's just a cliched, boring, dry-ass drama full of characters I know nothing about. I don't know 
anything about Steve other than his name's Steve and he likes Jane and he can drive fast. Boring ass movie, four to ten bags. The Blob, nineteen eighty eight. Honestly, I'm like a, I'm feeling a nine. Like it's pretty, it's pretty good. Maybe an eight or, but I'm I'm feeling nine, eight or nine. Lean towards a nine. Um. Yeah, pretty pretty good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it way more than the original. I I seriously like. Can you guess wh- why do you think they have like similar scores on Rotten Tomatoes? Like the Blob, nineteen fifty eight has what is it? A sixty eight, and the Blob. Okay, the people they're tripping honestly for the fifty eight one because like they're giving it they're giving a high score because of historical value honestly. Yeah. Like the average rating is six. Point two seven. You're saying this is a 6 out of 10 movie? No, it's not. If this movie came out today with modern actors and, you know, it just was... Like, they're giving it leeway because A, everyone knows the blob, and B, because, oh, it's a B movie. But the movie's mm-hmm. still shit, so <laughs> I'm not going to cut a slack for that. Um, and then for the other one, it seems... Okay, apparently, I guess this is where we get to the cult appeal. The reviews were mixed for the ADA one when it came out. They give it, like, people are giving it, like, 5, 6 out of 10, I suppose. And then now, upon reevaluation, people like it more. So that's where the cult following comes in for the ADA one. I can see why the reeval... I can see both why they it would be uh, mixed upon release and why it's reevaluated. Mixed because maybe there was a lot of these films at the time. And I can see how, among a lot of the great horror movies during that time, that this one feels a little unremarkable. But I think that I kind of err on the side of the reevaluation here, and that it's a very, very solid film with great special effects, good performances, decent script, and it's uh, all around a rockin' good time. Yeah. I'm gonna give. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I wasn't gonna say anything. Just yeah. Okay, fifty-eight blob. I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'll give it two out of five. Even I'll be a little merciful. Uh, there's like a couple of good things to note. I I probably don't really want to watch this ever again, um, unless somebody makes me, and only because it'll be a quick watch. Um, but for the Blob eighty eight, I give it four out of five bags. Good movie. Hell of a movie. Good time. These All right. are the good times. Mm mm mm. It's your call. Next week, what are we doing? God, it's my pick already. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me look at my list here. Just give me a second. Okay. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Lucas. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lucas. You know... What? I know... I know you're not, like, a huge fan of this one. Okay. But, I know, it kind of falls in the theme of what we did today. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Okay. I'm not I'm not uh, upset with that. I'm down to rewatch it. It's decent? It's decent. Um, I'll say this. 
hopefully this doesn't affect your viewing experience. My takeaway from it last time was that it just became too many jokes to the point where there was no story. Or th there was no movie. It's like a parody movie, right? Yeah, but then it just becomes... It just becomes... Par it just... It's Spaceballs. It's just parody. I see. Hmm. Well, we'll, so, ha we'll have to see how it goes next week. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm down to uh, be wrong. Maybe I'll love it this time. I hope. How long ago did you watch it? Hmm. Uh, two years, maybe? Almost two. three. Okay, I'm not liking the odds, but uh, we'll have to roll with them. <laughs> but yeah, good pick. Okay, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And do we even have another week in May? We do, so you're, the last pick falls to you. Last pick falls to you. You We flipped a coin. You got three picks, so I got two. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Um, and you said last time you would have a comic in mind. Not that I, I need you to, but do you have one? Yeah, I got a comic. What is it? You know, I talked about it on Beyond the Panels, actually the first comic we ever reviewed. Um, but it's probably my favorite superhero comic. And I mean, I have to talk about them eventually. For me, it's, for me, it's Alan Moore's Miracle Man. Now, the thing with Miracle Man is that it's not as good as Watchmen. I'll admit that. It's, you get a lot of the stuff that you will see in Watchmen. Um, it's, it's, all, it's not quite a prototype of Watchmen because the stories are very different. But what you basically get here is Alan Moore's take on the Superman ideal Miracle Man was basically a way for British publishers back in the day to make Shazam comics, or Captain Marvel, if you will, without getting sued. So this is essentially the same idea. Instead of saying Shazam, uh, little Michael Moran says Kimoda, which is like atomic backwards, and then he becomes Miracle Man. What's great about this comic? Uh, the artwork's incredible. Um... There's a, originally it was published in black and white, but there's, and there's two recolorings. I would recommend the first one if you can. It has a more psychedelic color palette, whereas the newer recolor has sort of a muted tone that you'll find a lot of the time. I showed this to Luke one time, is that if you look at the original coloring for, coloring for the killing joke versus the new one, it's like completely different. The first, mm -hmm. the first one has like bright orange red splash across the screen it's like it looks like it's soaked in acid and then the newer one is just pretty standard cape comics but miracle man is a dis deconstruction of the genre um it's about 16 issues i believe and then there's a sequel series written by neil gaiman which i also recommend um but it's just so much it's mature and not mature in the way that there's just gore um, I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago about how I wasn't pleased with the new Invincible show because, well, it's like mature. It's just mature in the way that we just see guys killing like 400 million people and people go, whoa. This also has a lot of death and destruction, but it, it's always done tastefully and with tact and everything holds weight. Um, the, the paneling is great, um, which is an underrated aspect of the genre always is you know, in sequential art, the sequence of the art is extremely important. You know what? It's best if you read it. You honestly don't need any in-depth knowledge of comics to understand it. Just know, think of what you think of the Superman or the superhero is. And I know that in this age of superhero deconstruction with Invincible and the boys, 
that you know this might have been stuff that you've seen before but this for me is easily miles above those kind of comics because i mean alan moore he's something else it is the invincibles the the show the cartoon show that i keep seeing memes of like the think mark meme yeah that's the think mark meme what's up with that show Okay, that show, it's written by, so the comic was written by Robert Kirkman, so it's the guy who did The Walking Dead. Mm. Um, The comic's not actually that good. Um, I also don't think the show is that good, but people disagree, whatever. The point, uh, the show basically, it's like this, there's this guy named Omni-Man, and he's like Superman, basically. And Mm -hmm. he has a kid named Mark with a human, and he becomes a hero named Invincible. But then you find out... And spoilers for the show, I guess, but this is the premise for the whole series, which in the comics runs 150 issues. <laughs> you find out that Omni-Man actually... And in the, in, so in the story, he lies. And he says... He basically gives the Superman origin. I'm the last of my planet. I just want to spread peace and love and save people. Then you find out, no, that's not actually true. In the, sh- in the comic and the show, he g- genocides like the Justice League. You find out that he's from a race of warlike aliens... And basically what they do is they send one ambassador to each planet and then they uh, basically conquer it. Um, so that's where the Think Mark meme comes from because he's like, hey, Mark, um, we're going to take over Earth now. And Mark's like, no, I don't think that's that cool, actually. And then he beats him up. Um, <laughs> it's comics, okay. It, it goes on way too long and there's, it's kind of melodramatic and there's just too many plots that happen concurrently and just get left off. The show, I'll say, is a little bit tighter in that regard. But uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, then, uh, yeah, go for it. How much of the show have you watched? I watched the whole first season. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not that many episodes. I think it was, like, nine episodes. Let me check. I just watched a clip of it today because it was recommended to me on YouTube, and the animation looked okay, but the it was anima- just, like... The animation... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. The animation is like, ah, oh, it's hit or miss. First of all, I don't like the art style that much. I wish, God, that Western animation would just be a little more adventurous in that regard. Uh, the animation itself is hit or miss. Sometimes you get some really greatly animated scenes, and then sometimes it's, like, hilariously bad. Like, it's just so uneven that it's kind of hard to get into. Um, it's Yeah, it's only eight episodes. It's okay. It's like, I mean, eight episodes is going to run you like two hours, 40 minutes. Uh, so it's like, you know, give it a shot if you're kind of interested, but it's not going to blow your mind. Read Miracle Man is way better. Yeah, I was just, I was watching the, the clip and he just like slices a dude in half and smashes this girl on the street and like half of it is dude gore dude he, <laughs> he just killed like a train dude whoa this is like what superman would do if he was evil but damn man like take that shit back to 2003 <laughs> <laughs> i just don't care did, did you did you what was the character's name in the boys the superman character homelander did you like that uh that rendition of it more yeah, you know what, Homelander Homelander's better because Omni-Man is just like, um, like he's a, he's a character with dimension because, okay, in the comics, spoilers once again, and you, they allude to this at the end of the show or the first season of the show, is that 
he's supposed to just come and like you know kill anybody who's in his way and then make way for the Viltrumites, which is like the Kryptonians. But then, like, oh, he's conflicted because, like, oh, they appealed to his humanity and, ah, oh, you know. And then they later redeem him in the comic, which is, like, kind of silly, like, that anybody forgives him, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Homelander's way better because he's unhinged in a believable way. Also, the performance uh, by Anthony Starr in The Boy Show is, is, is really great, honestly. Like, the boys comic, it's okay. Um... It's kind of gratuitously violent, once again, and it's, it's a little immature. Uh, for comic readers, they'll know Garth Ennis' trademark style. He's hit or miss as well. He's got some really great series, but he always kind of airs on the side of exploitation, I guess. As much piss jokes and as much blood splattering as he can get. And the boys' show maybe takes it a little bit too seriously, um, but you get great performances out of it, like I said, by Anthony Starr. I like Homelander better than Omni-Man. Okay. Um, not to take away from your Miracle Man uh, story, but keeping keeping uh, in the same vein. I, I, was, I just watched uh, the 19... Was it 98 um, Batman? Mm-hmm. No, that seems too... Was it 98? Like the Michael Keane one? Yeah. Oh, the 89 one. 89. 1989 one. I, I can't get into that movie. No, why not? I don't know. Like, I, I so I just rewatched Spider-Man two times because I really liked it. Um, I loved Spider-Man when I was a kid and I have a DVD of it somewhere, but I watch that movie a lot. And then in high school, maybe in... 10th or 11th grade I started to get into movies more and I was watching them and Matt I was like Spider-Man 2 is the greatest movie ever and I love the Amazing Spider-Man I was like let's let's watch this watch Amazing Spider-Man I was like yeah whatever watch Spider like the 2000 Spider-Man I was like this is so cheesy this is so lame I was a bit of a normie and then I rewatch it now and now that I love the Evil Dead and yada 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 I watched it I was like oh this is so good um, then I watched the Tim Burton Batman, and it's like, it's, ah, there's something about that movie that doesn't sit right with me, and maybe it's because I really like The Dark Knight, um, and I, personally, I just think of, when I think of Batman, I think it's supposed to be immature and dark. The, the 89 Batman, Michael Keaton's Batman costume is so crap, it's like, made out of rubber, and the Joker in that movie, it's so, like, cartoonish. Like, the Joker goes to this town square meeting and stabs a guy with a pen, and then he just walks away from that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they He just, like, does stuff, and the police can't do anything about it. Every, every character, and it's like, it's like they're being too faithful to, to comics, like they're they're not taking the best parts of them and using them they're just it's it it makes no sense almost and and like uh i know this is so like the joker falls into a vat of what what is that supposed to be radioactive which is acid acid why would there just be a giant vat of uh, acid in this thing don't worry about it 
I'm I'm worrying about it. And Alfred is such a little beta male in this movie, <laughs> and Michael Keaton as Batman is is kind of a whatever. I don't know. It just it was. It's not sitting right with me. It's too cheap. It's too goofy. Yeah. Um. I can. Okay. Here's the thing. I agree that movie is not perfect. I think it's decent though. Uh, the costume sucks. I agree. It's kind of goofy. Arguably, the sequel is better. Uh. Maybe try that one. But I will. A lot of the novelty is just number one. It's like the first serious Batman movie, and even mm-hmm. then, like nah, to today's standards, and not that serious. Like the Joker goes to the art gallery and plays like a Prince <laughs> song, and then just starts spraying like a mustache on the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it's a little goofy, yeah. I like Jack Nicholson in it though. I even like. I think Keaton is de- decent, although it's hard to believe him as Batman, especially with that haircut, man yeah and yeah the suit sucks i don't know why it took them like 20 30 years for them to allow batman to turn his head why is his <laughs> cowl like that wow that's so impractical it's impractical <laughs> to the point of like this is the immersion breaking he's turning yeah. his whole body to turn his head it's stupid yeah there that's my thing is there's stuff in this movie where it's just like so out there that it just becomes immersion breaking like the Joker has this meeting <laughs> with all of like these mafia heads, and then he electrocutes one of them to death. Wouldn't his whole family just come after the Joker and try to kill him? Um, n- no. Like, I or wouldn't all the other guys be like, "Man, you're nuts!" and and kill him? And there's the scene in bruce wayne's house where they like sneak into his sneak into his armory or his little antique room and there's like a perfect camera behind the the mirror like i don't know there's just so much stuff where i just i it would it wouldn't happen like why would they have this little town meet and then the Joker just comes in, and it's right in front of like City Hall or something. There'd be police, police there, and, and he just goes and defiles this art gallery, and it's all all good. Like I wish they would have cut out the crappy Joker origin story because that seriously makes no sense. He just falls into a vat. Yeah, it's it's way to, better when the Joker is like uh, just a r- unknown or a, r- a random. The backstory I agree is misguided. Yeah, like, to me, Batman is supposed to be realistic. Like, Bat- Batman the character, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, they throw in some sci-fi elements, but it's always stuff that, it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, Bane, you could have super te- steroids, sure. But then just, like, he just falls in green goop, and then his mouth stays in a smile, and that's the only thing the acid does, and it makes him crazy. That that's like Spider Man shit at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why Nolan kind of was like, "Well, we're just he's just a guy with makeup, and you don't know anything about him, and he's pretty believably crazy." Yeah, that's some more comic booky stuff that works on the page because Batman, I think, is better when he's more grounded because I don't know the Nolan stuff was just so successful that way. So 
feels like it's the only way now. And the second one's Batman Returns, right? Yeah, that one's pretty decent. You get Catwoman, you get Penguin, uh, set at Christmas time. It's fun for the whole family. It, does that one wrap it up, or does it leave it on, like, a potential sequel cliffhanger? It's just, like, another Batman adventure, and then they didn't make a third one with Keaton or Burton. And then the third one is Batman Forever, and that's when you get into the Schumacher movies that nobody likes. Wait, that's a continuation of it? It's supposed to be. Oh, I thought that was its own thing. Because, I'm going to double check this, but Batman Forever, it only came out a few... Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, that's Bruce Wayne, Val Kilmer is now Bruce Wayne, they just recast... Wait, but isn't Harvey Dent, um... Yeah, he's white. It's like yeah. it's like a loose continuation. Because what they do is they don't acknowledge, like... They just, they're just like, okay, Batman's here. And then Batman, like the opening of the movie, it's like... Batman does a Batman thing, and then there's Two-Face. It's... Like, I guess technically it's a different universe. But they... It came out, like, two years after Returns. Uh, and they... And people just call it the third instance of the film so honestly just watch those two movies just don't watch batman forever unless you like to laugh at crap and then you have to watch batman and robin too and then you'll regret it and put it on the back card <laughs> put it on the back card <laughs> never leave never leave the cave without it <laughs> <laughs> thank you schumacher very cool very cool toys thank you aye, aye, aye. all right so next week uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, week after that. Find out next week. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. And we'll see you then. See ya. If you enjoyed anything you heard today, make sure to stay tuned for weekly episodes available for streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and umfm.com. And don't forget to follow our Instagram page at COP Podcast.